0: I want to begin today by asking you a question. When was the last time that you were right about something that truly mattered? Now, there are many times that we're right about stuff that doesn't really have any kind of eternal implications. But when was the last time you were right about something that truly mattered, even though your belief was skewered for the most part by the culture, by your friends at work, if you're a student by the students that you go to school with, even though that belief that you had and you held to strongly that you were right even though the world said it was wrong, you held to it even though the political apparatus came against you, even though the, the media uh, conglomerate came against you, you stood fast on what you believed to be true. Hey, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. I, I want to say something to you today. I've been wrong a lot of times in my life. But I want you to know that I believe something today And I believe I'm right even if the whole world turns against me. I believe that God designed the marriage relationship. I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. I believe that the husband and wife should be committed to each other exclusively for their entire lives. I believe that this relationship called marriage is a cornerstone of the family and of society as a whole. And I believe that any deviation from God's standard is wrong. Unfortunately, it seems that the whole world thinks that anyone who would believe what I just espoused is bigoted, homophobic arrogant, and out of touch with reality. John Piper made the following statement. He said this, I quote, the fact that we live in a society that can even conceive of, let alone defend two men or two women entering a relationship, and with wild inconceivability calling it marriage shows that the collapse of our culture into debauchery and barbarism and anarchy is probably not far away. I mention all this in the hopes that it might possibly wake you up to consider a vision of marriage higher and deeper and stronger and more glorious than anything this culture or perhaps you yourself ever imagined. The greatness and glory of marriage is beyond our ability to think or feel without divine revelation and without the illumining and awakening work of the Holy Spirit. The world cannot know what marriage is without learning it from God. Now I'm going to repeat that last statement. It's a very important statement. The world cannot know what marriage is without learning it from God. I know that I'm right in what I believe about marriage, and I know it matters greatly. But how can I be so sure? Am I just an arrogant, pompous preacher standing behind a bully pulpit saying what I believe without any kind of backing, any kind of of, of something that would give me confidence and assurance? Listen, do you see this book I'm holding in my hand? It's called a Bible, it's the Bible. It is the truth of God. It is our final source for faith and practice. And if we really, if we really want to understand what marriage is, we have to go back to the beginning. Now, the book of Genesis translated means the beginning. That's the, the literal name of the word. It's the beginning. And so we go back to the beginning of the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, to discover what marriage really is and what God designed marriage to be. A little background might be helpful. If you will recall in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit reveals to us through the pen of Moses... How God created the world and everything in it within six 24 hour days. It's a masterful description of the creation of the world. Listen, we're in a series entitled Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. And there's a lot of stuff we need to think straight about. We need to think straight about creation. How did everything come into being? What does that say about you and your family? What does that say about your hope for the future? These kind of things, these kind of big ticket questions need solid biblical answers. And we find them in Genesis chapter 1 as it relates to the creation of the world. The word uh, Elohim, the, the name for God that's used most prevalently in chapter 1 refers to the almighty creator. But when you get to Genesis chapter 2, there is another word that's used, another name for God, and you find it repeatedly used in chapter 2, and it's a hybrid. It's the the covenant name for God and the the name of creator God. It's Yahweh Elohim. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you'll see that the Bible says that God created man in his own image. Remember, he created man on the sixth day. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And that gives us the the, the footing for what we're going to to discover in chapter 2, where God takes that initial statement, and, and then he just paints a picture for us of the creation of Adam and Eve and their eventual marriage. So as we flip to chapter 2 of Genesis, we're reminded that the covenant God, the creator God cares about Adam and Eve. Can I tell you this? If God cared about the first two human beings, he cares about you. He cares about you. Last week, we looked at, at verses 4 through verse um, 17 in chapter 2, and we discovered how good God was to Adam and Eve. My goodness, he gave them a beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden, to live in. He put them in a perfect world, a world where there was no sin, there was no fallenness whatsoever. God gave them beauty surrounding them that was off the charts, rivers and, and, and trees and fruit trees. And, and God gave them one rule, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But today I, wanna, I want us to consider in verses 18 to 25, God's design for marriage. God's original design for marriage. Now, we live in a fallen world today. And in a fallen world, you have fallen stuff, right? Things are not done according to God's pattern. But I'm telling you, as we go back to the original marriage, the marriage of Adam and Eve, we can discover some wonderful things that have amazing implications for our own marriages and our own families today. Now, this sermon today is not designed to beat anybody up. It's just designed to give you the truth about marriage. And it's very important that every grandfather and grandmother and father and mother gets this totally down in their minds and hearts and it's fixed in their minds and hearts and they teach it to their kids and their grandkids. Because I can tell you this, your kids and your grandkids are not being taught this. Everything in culture is mitigated against what I'm preaching today. But this is truth. This is God's truth. And if we want our families to be strong, We've got to have the kind of marriages that God designed in the beginning. Now, there's a truth I want you to fix in your heart today. Here's that truth. God designed marriage for his glory and for our good. God designed marriage for his glory and our good. Now, our passage today begins with a statement that may seem rather shocking if you're a careful Bible student. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, the Bible says, Then the Lord God said, there's that hybrid name for God, Yahweh Elohim, said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, let me ask you, what jumps out in verse 18 that you haven't seen before in Genesis chapter 1? Remember what it is? Over and over in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of the first day, at the end of the second day, at the end of the third day, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then in verse 31, when God surveys everything, he said, it is very good. And now we come to verse 18, and we find that God says something is not good. But what is it? You see, God has created Adam. He created Adam from the dust of the ground. Adam was not some kind of product of evolution that started out as a one-cell amoeba in some kind of primordial slime, and and suddenly lightning struck the primordial slime, and you, you know how that goes. That's not how it happened, folks. The Bible says that God Himself, Yahweh Elohim, reached down into the dust of the ground and He formed and fashioned Adam. He fashioned Adam for His glory. It's a beautiful picture. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, but Adam was alone. He didn't have a companion. There was nobody that had been created in the image of God. There was no one who had had the breath of God breathed into their nostrils that he could share his life with. And God made that clear to him in verse 19. The Bible says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Now see, we're not told that in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is an elaboration of chapter 1. It's an explanation of chapter 1. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man, to Adam, to see what he would call them. Remember, God said to Adam that he would give him dominion over all of creation. And God brought these living animals and these birds to Adam. And he said, Adam, what are you going to call these things? And Adam had the responsibility of calling and naming all the birds and all the animals. Listen, the evolutionists tell us that the first human beings were Neanderthals. Neanderthals. They drug their, nickel, their knuckles on the, on the ground and they were, they were dumb and ignorant and, and, and they just evolved smarter and smarter. L- let me tell you, that's not true. The smartest man who ever walked on this planet, who was a true man, not Jesus, but a man, was Adam. I'm telling you, he was the, the highest rung of a botanist and a biologist. He knew everything. He was smart beyond any person that has ever walked on the face of this planet. And God says to Adam, I want you to name these animals and these birds. Then the Bible says, and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Here comes Mr. and Ms. Eleva. And Adam somehow studied their characteristics and their nature, and he named them elephant. And here comes uh, an eagle, and this eagle and his mate flies over on a branch there next to Adam, and, and Adam names him eagle. This is what the Bible says, folks. How else do you think they got their names? I'll go with mine any day. Because mine comes straight out of the scriptures. And I believe that with all my heart. You see, sometimes you just got to believe that what you believe is right, even if everybody says it's wrong. I could care less what CNN would say about me. I could care less what Biden would say about me. I could care less what anybody would say about me because I want to be right with God. You you see, listen, if you please God, you don't have to worry about who you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. I'd rather please God any day. Amen. Amen. And so Adam gives them name. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. I tell you, God knew what he was doing when he brought all the animals before Adam for him to name them. You see, Adam was a smart guy. He noticed that Mr. Eagle had Miss Eagle. He noticed that Mr. Cheetah had Miss Cheetah. He noticed these things. And it begins to dawn on him as he looks around. There's no one that he can relate to. There's no one that he can have a relationship with on a face-to-face level. Let me ask you a question. What's most like a half moon? You say, well, it's a, a block of Edom cheese cut half into Mississippi State Edom cheese. Now, that's not it. What's most like a half moon? It's the other half of the moon. I'm telling you, do you see what I'm saying here? And there was nobody that Adam could identify with. There was no woman for him to identify with. There's no one he could share his life with. And you notice here in verse 18, God says, I will make him a helper suitable for him. That word suitable literally means corresponding to Adam. The same as. As. And then in verse 20, we see it again. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Now, you may be a a lady in here today and you you say, I'm offended that God would say that I as a woman, I'm, I'm talking about you, I'm not talking about me, that I as a woman am to be considered a helper to my husband. Well, let let me urge you, ladies, before you let the secular feminist get inside your head rent-free, you need to consider what the Bible is teaching here. You really do. Did you know that this same Hebrew word for helper here is used to refer to God? God. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, the Bible says, God is our refuge and strength of very present, what is it? Help in trouble. That word help is the same exact Hebrew word used right here in chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 20. Same exact Hebrew word. And by the way, do you know that Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, promised his disciples that he was going to do something for them. He said, I'm going to send the helper to you. You know who he's referring to? The Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is referred to the helper. God the Father is referred to as a helper. And ladies, if God refers to you as a helper suitable for your husband, that is not a demeaning term. That is a term that you should glory in. That's God's creative design for you. Perhaps Matthew Henry, the Puritan Bible commentator said it best. He said this, I quote, he said, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be beloved by him. Look look at verses 19 and 20. God creates all the animals. Adam names them. And then we come to verse 21 and 22. And the Bible says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. The first anesthesia right here in the Bible in the Garden of Eden. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Look at verse 22. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So understand, God prepared Adam for Eve, and now he prepared Eve for Adam. What a beautiful scene this must have been. Against the backdrop of a beautiful, perfect world, against the backdrop of the Garden of Eden with all of its pristine beauty, the Lord God fashioned a woman from the rib of Adam. Now, that word fashioned in the Hebrew language is an interesting word. It literally means to build. To build. So God took a rib from Adam. And he begins to build a woman from the rib of Adam. It it pictures God as a master sculptor carefully shaping Eve to be the perfect companion for Adam. You notice God didn't create Eve from the dust of the ground like he did Adam. He created Eve from a part of Adam. And God did did this to remind Adam and every husband in this room that his wife is a part of him and that she is equal to him, though they have different roles to play out in the family. And this is is brought out very clearly by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 to 30. Let me read it to you. Paul says, so husbands also, also... ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Can you imagine what it was like when Adam woke up from the anesthesia that God had used for him? I wonder how it played out. I wonder if God brought Eve to Adam and said, hey, Adam, I want to introduce you to somebody. I wonder if Adam said, oh, no, another animal. No, he didn't. Maybe God said to Adam, Adam... This is your wife. This is your wife. Her name is Eve. Oh, man, what must have gone through his mind when he saw Eve? He he must have said, this is the one. This is the one I can relate to. This is the one who I can have as a companion for the rest of my life. This is the one I can share my life with. Oh, they were different. Believe me, they were different. She was a lot prettier than Adam. They were different anatomically. She was a female, he was a male. He was stronger, she was weaker physically. Adam and Eve were the first couple to be married and God married them in the Garden of Eden. I want to remind you that God designed marriage for his glory and for our good. For the rest of the time, I want to share three principles right here out of verses 24 and 25 that can help you make sure that your marriage meets the standards that God set from the very beginning. Number one, marriage is a priority relationship. In Genesis 2, 24, the Bible says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Now, obviously, Adam had no father or mother, right? So this is Moses Revealing spiritual truth that did not apply to Adam and Eve because neither one of them had a father or mother. But it was for the people of God in the future. It was for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles who would believe in the Lord Jesus. God designed marriage to function with the husband and wife relationship taking precedence over the parent-child relationship. Now, that is an important statement. I'm going to repeat it because it's important. God designed a marriage to function with the husband and wife relationship, taking precedence over the parent-child relationship. And that's important on two levels. It means that when a man and woman get married, they must cut the cord that has tethered them to their parents since the day they were born. There is no way that a husband and wife can create and develop an interdependent relationship with each other if they have not declared their independence from their parents. That's got to happen. In some translations of the Bible, it's referred to as leaving. There has to be a leaving before there can be a cleaving. But it's important on another level. After you've been married a while and you begin to have children, this is something that seems to happen quite often. The mom develops such a, a powerful bond with her kids that the husband begins to feel like he's out on an island by himself. And on the other hand, the husband develops such a, a powerful attraction to his career or his hobbies, and the wife and the children feel like they're out here on an island. Let me say this to you, the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Nothing can compare with that. But the second most important relationship in your life is not the parent-child relationship, it's the husband-wife relationship. I'm telling you this, for every husband and wife in this room, if you want to grow up, if you want your kids to grow up in a secure, healthy environment, you make sure that your child knows that you love your spouse more as a priority than you do them. I'm not saying you don't love your kids, absolutely you love your kids. I'm not saying you don't love your parents, absolutely you love your parents. You never abandon your parents. But I'm telling you, folks. The second most important relationship in your life, if you want to have a healthy, Christ-honoring, God-pleasing marriage, the second most important relationship is your relationship with your spouse. In Proverbs 18.22, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In Hebrews 13.4, the Bible says marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is to be held in honor by all. You say, Pastor, I've gone through a, a wreck of a marriage, and Pastor, I've just got a bad taste in my mouth about marriage. Don't let that happen to you. God created marriage. Marriage is good. He designed it for His glory and His good. Don't ever allow yourself to get soured on the the concept of marriage. God created it. It's good. Here's the second principle I want to drop in your heart today. Number one, marriage is a priority relationship. Number two, marriage is an enduring relationship. Genesis 2, 24 again, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The word joined means to cling to. It means to be glued together. The marriage relationship as established by God in the Garden of Eden is built on commitment, not feelings or emotions. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm leaving my my wife or I'm leaving my husband because I have found my soulmate. There's no biblical basis for that. None. Not even a shred. Listen, your relationship with your spouse is not based upon your feelings or your emotions or or quote unquote romantic love. Your relationship with your spouse is based on a commitment. It's based on a covenant that you made with God and you made with your spouse. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 2 verse 13 and 14, this is another thing you do speaking to the Jews who had had just obliterated God's plan and God's God's word in their lives. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with groaning because he no longer (coughs) regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion. Now listen, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Matthew chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, Jesus had some Pharisees come and ask him a question about divorce. And Jesus in verse 4 answered and said, now I want you to notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, have you not read? He said, do you not have a Bible? Do you not have the scrolls? Have you not read? Jesus says that he who created them, he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 here. He who created them. From the beginning, made them male and female. In verse 5, he goes to Genesis chapter 2 and said, For this reason, and he quotes this verse that we're looking at today. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God, here's what Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God's plan for marriage is one man being married to one woman for life. You say, Pastor, I've blown it. I've blown it. I got some good news for you. God is a God of grace, and God forgives and God restores. And do you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he died for any sin and all sin that you've ever committed. And when you stand before Jesus one day, you'll never have to answer for a single sin or failure in your life, ever, ever. Because that sin is separated from you as far as the east is. Well, that's grace, folks. But, but we cannot get away from God's design for marriage We've got to come back to it. We've got to root ourselves. We've got to tie ourselves to it. We've got to rivet ourselves to it. God designed marriage for his glory and our good. And it involves two principles so far, a priority relationship and an enduring relationship. And finally, number three, marriage is an intimate relationship. Look at verse 24 again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. One flesh. Now, this refers to an emotional, a spiritual, and a physical union between the husband and the wife. Each of these expressions of oneness is absolutely vital. It is absolutely vital that you and your spouse have an emotional oneness, a spiritual oneness, and a physical oneness. It's very vital. And this kind of, of oneness develops in an atmosphere of love and encouragement. Verse 25, look at it. And the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked, and were not ashamed. They didn't have stitch clothes on, no. But they were not ashamed. You know what this means? It means they were totally transparent with each other. There was no hidden agendas. So many marriages are damaged by hidden agendas because a, a wife is not transparent with her husband, or a husband's not transparent with his wife. Now, you gotta remember at this point, they had no sin in their lives, they were perfect, and they had nothing to hide, nothing. Nothing to be ashamed of. That's the kind of intimacy that God wants for your marriage. Let me ask you a question. Don't you want to be on the right side of this crucial issue? Don't you? Even If the culture calls us names, even if the culture rejects us, don't you want to be on the right side of that issue? Don't you want to believe that you're right and everybody else is wrong if your right is tied to the Word of God? You don't have to stutter or stammer. You don't have to walk around and be apologetic. I'm so tired of people apologizing for standing up and doing something right. We need to quit that. We need to stand flat-footed on the word of God, and we need to honor the, the God of the Word and the Word of the God, Word of God. We've got to think straight in a crooked world, and we've got to think straight about marriage, because God designed marriage for His glory and our good. I'm going to speak to to every person in this room who's a born-again believer and those watching by live stream. I'm going to ask you a question. Is your marriage a priority relationship in your life? Or have you messed things up by making the parent-child relationship more important than the husband-wife relationship? Now listen, we're fixing to have a time of worship and it's a time for you to come to this altar and bow your knee before the Lord and if you have gotten that backwards, it's time for you to ask Jesus to help you. It's okay because he's the helper, right? He's our very present help in time of trouble. I asked him to help me before I came out here to preach today and he'll help you straighten out your marriage if you will let him. If you'll take these three principles and immerse your marriage and yourself in these three principles, marriage is a priority relationship. Second principle marriage is an enduring relationship. Some of you here today, some of you watching my live stream, your marriage is in trouble. It's in trouble. The cracks are appearing. But I'm telling you, the Lord will help you. If you'll just just bow your knee to Jesus and say, Lord, it's not easy, but I'm going to stick by my spouse. I'm going to love my spouse and be devoted to my spouse and keep my vows that I made to my spouse. Even if it gets so hard, I can hardly breathe. Lord, I'm going to keep my vows. Lord, would you help me? Can I tell you, that's a prayer Jesus will answer because it's his will. And and then the final one, marriage is an intimate relationship. Let me ask you, in your relationship as a Christian husband and Christian wife, are, are you, do you have that, that emotional oneness that, you, that the Bible describes right here? Do you have that, that spiritual oneness that the Bible describes? Do you have that physical oneness that the Bible describes? I'll tell you, all three of those are important. You can't say, well, I'll take the spiritual and I'll take the emotional, but I'm forgetting that physical part. That physical part is important because God established that and created that in the marriage relationship and it's the greatest protection that you have in order to keep your vows. So here's what I'm asking you to do. We've looked at the Word of God today. I'm going to ask our our worship team to come, our staff to come. They're going to be here to pray for you. You can scoot them out of the way. You can come to the altar, and you can pray about any of these principles that you need to pray. Maybe, just maybe, there are husbands and wives who need to come to this altar, and you've got a great marriage. Praise God, you've got a great marriage. Maybe you just want to come to this altar and bow before the Lord and say, Lord, protect us, because I can tell you the enemy's coming for you. Lord, protect our marriage. Let our kids grow up. Let our grandkids grow up in a, in a, in a home, in a family where they know that we love each other, and we care for each other, and we're there for each other. We're not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. I can tell you, you can have a marriage that God will bless. And God will honor you and glorify Himself through you. Or maybe you're here today, you say, Pastor, I just need to come to the altar and pray. I got some things going on in my life or in my marriage. I need to pray. You come. But listen, if you're here today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, no other relationship in your life will ever be right. I'm telling you. It'll never be right. He loves you. He died for you on the cross so that you could be forgiven, and have eternal life. I wanna invite you to come to one of our staff members and just say today, today I wanna to be saved. i want to receive Jesus as my savior and Lord the way Todd and Rebecca did, I baptized today. Let's pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Help us to do your will today. In Jesus' name.